Welcome to church, everybody. And uh, we are definitely keeping our eyes on the tropics to see what's going to happen with this tropical storm. Ian, just want you to know we're watching that. And pay attention to our social media pages as the week goes. If anything changes, we will update you. And I know there's some concern. Uh, people are already buying out all the bread at Publix. If you're one of those people, please help us out, man. Calm down. Gas, too. You know? Uh, and so, anyway, let's not talk about the storm. Am I right? We'll deal with those winds later. Right now, there's a different kind of wind blowing in this place. You see how you transition out of that? That's how you do it. Let's go to the book of Acts, chapter 18, verse 1 through 10. We're going to read a little bit this morning. We're in a series called, Are You Ready? Look at your neighbor and ask him, are you ready? Look at your other neighbor, tell him you ain't ready for this. You ain't ready. You ain't ready for this. Acts chapter 18, verse 1 through 10. It says, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife, Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome, and he went to them. And because he was of the same trade, he remained with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. This is talking about Paul, by the way. Okay. He lectured in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded Jews and Greeks. And when Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul was pressed by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. But when they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be upon your heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And then he departed from there and entered the house of a man named Justice. That sounds like a strong name, Justice. Justice. Don't mess with justice. One who worshiped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. And Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians who heard believed and were baptized. People were getting saved, and they started doing baptism Sundays. Do you know what I'm talking about? They were baptizing people, bringing in the snowball truck every week. It was happening. Verse 9, the Lord spoke to Paul in the night through a vision. Do not be afraid, but speak and do not be silent, for I am with you and no one shall attack you and hurt you, for I have many people in this city. I love that last part, for I have many people in this city. Let's pray and then we'll jump in. Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to gather to worship you. Thank you for the opportunity to come together to hear your word. And Father, I pray that you will cause these words to come alive. Let it go further than our ears. Let it go further than our minds. Father, let it land in our heart. Let it awaken faith. Let it cause us to believe you more than we've ever had before. Let us see what it is that you want to do in us and through us. Father, help me today to speak this message. Father, help me to, to say it the way you want it said. Help me to deliver it, Father, with clear pictures in mind. 
And Father, I thank you that this is going to be an awakening today for each and every one of us. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. In my 46 years on earth, I know you don't think I'm that old, but here we are. In my 46 years on earth, I have been accused of being OCD a few times. Can anybody relate? And there's a few people, even right now, that are judging me. The pastor, the preacher, holding the microphone and relaying an experience you may have had before with me to a condition that many would call OCD. And I will give you an example of it. One of the things that I am definitely OCD about is the chairs must be straight. It has to be. If it's not, I will lose my mind. Because I feel like um, if we want people to come, we should at least give the appearance that we were expecting them to be there. Am I right? That's like not cleaning your house and you have company coming over. Some of you just got a revelation just now. Baby, we need to clean the house. You have chores to do. I remember going to an event at my daughter's school, and I'm not going to mention the school, but when we arrived at this event, I was, I, I was messed up because the chairs were not straight. And I'm not even talking they tried. It was terrible. And uh, so we were finding our seats, you know, because you got to get the right angle. If you sit too close in the front, you got to deal with the grandparents holding up the iPad, you know, videoing and taking pictures. iPad, not phone, iPad. Not that that's in anybody's way. Uh, and so uh, when we arrive, we're positioning ourselves so we can see everything. And I'm sitting there trying to, like, control myself. I, I felt more like I was in a place of temptation where it was like, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. And y'all know how that temptation thing works where you say it so many times, I'm not going to do it. And then that's it. Whatever happens, happens. Let's just do it. That is not the way to handle temptation. Okay, I promise you that's not. But that day I had to do something because it was eating me alive. And so I began to straighten the chairs. And this is what was so appalling to me about it. There's literally a grid on the floor from every block of tile that is in the room. There is a cheat code to have straight chairs right there. Anybody feeling my pain right here? I'm telling you, it just, ah. Oh. And I, I walked through and I straightened out every single chair, just made sure it was just right. And you can just feel the atmosphere in the room change because everyone felt comfortable after, after that was done. Before that, you can feel angst in the room. There was a nervousness. There was an edge to it. But afterwards, everyone was just, oh. Now, you may call that OCD, I call that ministry, man. I was helping some people out. Um, also, I've been accused of being OCD. Uh, before I go on a road trip, I will clean my vehicle. I'm talking clean it, baby. Detail. Don't, don't plan nothing else. I'm not packing before the trip. I'm packing a couple of days ahead of time because I'm going to clean my ride before I go. And the windshield especially must be clean. I'm not talking about a quick wipe. You know what I'm saying? And hit the little spray on the windshield and let the windshield. No, no, no. Because the corners. No, I can't do spots on the corners, man. And you might think I'm crazy. I just like to see. 
I like to see clearly. In fact, one time we were taking this trip. We were heading to Tennessee, and I mean, it was raining. And what's that going to do? Stop me. The vehicle's getting wet anyway whenever we wash it. And so I was in the rain. Come on, I got a couple of people. Can I get a witness from anybody in here that's feeling it? Three. I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. Thank the Lord. There's others. And in the rain, I cleaned the vehicle in the rain, put Rain-X on the windshield the whole nine yards, went on the inside and cleaned it up. And even though it was raining, my vehicle was clean. It just, I just like having a clean windshield. I like having a clean car. I can't stand the carpet having sand, a little rocks on it. Because if I take my shoes off while we're traveling, I don't want to pick up rocks on my feet. Am I right? Some of y'all are just throwing all kinds of insults at me under your breath. I feel it. We got to bring the worship team back up and do that champion song, man. There, there have been times, literally, like I'll clean the vehicle before we leave, and, and we'll get on the road, and you, you, I mean, we live in the south, so you're going to run into a bug. You're going to run into a bug, and just sometimes the windshield wiper won't do it. And so I will stop at an auto zone, advance auto, and I'm, I'm getting to work. And I'm cleaning that thing because I like to have some clear vision. Come on, y'all know what I'm talking about? I like to see clearly where I am going. And it just makes me feel good. Look at your neighbor and say, it makes me feel good. It makes me feel good. If you ever come in this place and the chairs aren't straight, chances are I'm gone. That's what that means. He gone. My windshield's dirty right now. It's eating me up alive. So over the past couple of months, the Lord has been stirring my heart to share vision. That's why I shared the story about the windshield, by the way. Um, vision is, it's, it can be exciting um, because it speaks of possibilities. It speaks of things to come. And we, we love to talk about what could be and what may be uh, someday. And I don't know about you, but I've always been motivated by vision. I don't know what it is. I mean, I've sat in those those meetings before, whether it was in church or even in uh, those conferences where they teach in business things and they begin to talk about vision. I just get fired up. I mean, you don't even have to talk about much. You start talking vision. It's like, let's go, baby. You know, like, let's let's do this. And so it's so exciting. And, and vision, it inspires you. But it also has this quality, especially with a group of people, that it can unite us together. And I think we need to be united more than ever, by the way. We're all over the place, but we need something that can unite us. And vision, vision can unite people together. It can direct us. It can, it can move us forward. And so many people are trying to move forward in their lives, but they keep doing the same old things over and over and over and over. It's time for some new vision. It's time for some fresh vision in your life because I really believe that vision moves us forward. And in Proverbs chapter 29, it says that that without a vision, people perish. Like, that's strong. Without vision, people, they perish. And so I, I really started looking at this verse, and I, I just concluded, well, I guess if you have vision, that means you come alive. I mean, I'm just being obvious. Without vision, you perish. With vision, you must come alive. And I believe that vision that comes from God, it's literally inspired by the Holy Spirit, by the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God was the very thing that God breathed into man whenever he created him, and it caused him to come alive. In fact, when you look at the creation story, it's literally a vision story. 
It's a story of God's vision. And he was beginning to lay it out. And then God breathed into man. And when he breathed into man, it all began to come alive. And so vision has this, this thing about it that, that it just makes you come alive. And it's more than just information. It's more than just, hey, here's some good ideas of some great things that we could do. Let's get inspired. It's so much more than that because it goes beyond our senses and it gets down in our spirit. And it's literally this connection with God that causes you and I to come alive. And my prayer is that as we begin to share vision with you, it's not just that's good, but you hear vision and you say, let's go. That's what vision does. It moves you. It's inspired by the spirit of God. In fact, when you read the book of Acts chapter two, at the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, he says, this is that which was prophesied by the prophet Joel. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions, dreams and visions. We get weirded out by that sometimes. But I believe dreams and visions can be inspired by God. And if you're at a point in your life where you're no longer dreaming and you don't have any visions, that is a sure indicator. God, I need your spirit to come and awaken me. Amen. I need your spirit to awaken me today because God's not finished. Do you believe that? So vision is more than information. In fact, I'll say it this way. It's even more than inspiration. You, you ever got inspired to do a project and then you started it? And five trips to Home Depot, you lost it. You used to be inspired. You used to be fired up. And then you realize, what have we gotten ourselves into? You got to have more than inspiration, man. You're going to have a little grit. A little grind, you know what I'm saying? And, and, and that's where we're at in the world. A lot of people are, are, are they're dreaming up things, but they don't have the grit to back it up. Amen? They, uh, let, me, let me spell it out. They make commitments, and then when it gets hard, they quit them. Come on. So vision isn't just information. It's not just Pinterest inspiration. And, and I have to say that because sometimes we, we, we may not be scrolling through Pinterest on our phone, but we're scrolling through Pinterest of people's lives. And I want that, and I want that, and I want that. And somehow that becomes, just like a Pinterest list becomes a honeydew list, that Pinterest with people list becomes our prayer list. And God, I want that what they got. I want what they have. I want what they have. And here's the deal. That inspiration will not last. Because when you begin to deal with the things that those people deal with, you're like, I didn't sign up for this. Real vision, though, is more than information. It's more than inspiration. It's what I call revelation. Revelation is literally this. It's like God pulling back the cover and letting you see more than what you should see. Letting you, letting you get a glimpse of something that you wasn't supposed to get a glimpse of. You ever had somebody come to you and say, hey, don't tell anybody, but this, we're about to do this. And you're like, you know that feeling that you have? And you're around people and it's, you kind of got that look. I know something you don't know. <laughs> Y'all know that look? It's like, I know something you don't know and I can't tell you, but you want to know. I can tell you want to know, but I can't tell you because I know something that you don't know. This is what revelation is. It's, it's God just opening it 
just a hair and letting you get a glimpse. And when you get that glimpse, what you realize is this isn't something that I dreamed up. This is something that God streamed up for me. And here's the thing. I know my limitations that there is no way I can accomplish that. But you know God's power. And you're thinking only God could do that. That is what revelation is. It's a revelation. But not only is vision a revelation, it's also an assignment. It's, a, it's an assignment. And, and I know right now some of you are twitching because you, you thought the assignment days from school were over. But I want you to know God still has an assignment for you to accomplish. He has a, that, in fact, most of us are struggling with moving forward in our lives. And chances are it's because we haven't completed the assignment. You can't get promoted until you finish the assignments. There's assignments that must be done, and vision is an assignment. And then I'm going to drop this word on you today. And many of you, you've used this word before, but I need you to see this, that vision is a calling. Vision is a, it's an assignment, but it's also a calling. Now, that word calling, it definitely stirs up things in our lives because we have over-categorized callings. We have turned everything into a calling, every single thing. Like I was called to turn the microphone on before I came up here and speak. No, I turned the microphone on so I could do what I was called to do. You see what I'm saying? I wasn't called to turn the microphone on. I was called to speak, but I got to turn it on if I'm going to speak. And sometimes we're over-exaggerating things, creating confusion for ourselves because we need validation. We need validation, and so we have to turn everything into something to validate that we have no clue what we need to be doing. And this is where vision is so important because vision will bring clarity to the things you need to do, but it also brings clarity to some things you don't need to do. This is why vision in a family is so important because if you don't have vision, you'll think we can just do anything, and you will wind up all over the place. And when you got one person with a vision and another person with a vision and it ain't the same vision, you got this thing called die vision. And you know what happens in die vision? People die. You know why they die? Because you kill each other. Seriously, you ever been there before? And listen, listen, everybody, oh, preach that preacher. Oh, yeah, he needs to hear that. It's you too. The power of agreement, man, it's awesome. Vision is a calling, and a calling, a calling is serious. A calling is, is not something to be played with. Because if you're called to it, that means you're responsible for it. And that's a game changer. See, a calling is a responsibility. It's not just an opportunity. And unfortunately, that's how we have labeled calling, and that's why we've given ourselves options with our callings. We give ourselves the opportunity to opt out of it if it doesn't give us the feelings that we, that we like. Here, here, here's one of the areas that we struggle with callings is with our careers. Not every career that you have will actually be a calling. And that's hard because... We spent a lot of money going to school to get trained for that. Am I right? And some people are still paying for that. And so you need this career to give you that validation. And if it doesn't, then why am I doing it? 
But I think we need to get some perspective on what our careers ultimately are all about. Can I preach this real quick before we jump? Ultimately, do you know that your career is there to help you pay your bills? Can I get an amen from somebody? I know you start out in the early days at McDonald's, and now they're starting out at Chick-fil-A. That was to pay the gas money. And if you got a kid and you ain't charging them gas, charge them, okay? They need to pay for their gas. Amen? Amen. They need to. But they got the job because they needed to pay their bills. Later on, you have a job. Why? Because you want a certain kind of life. And if I'm going to have that kind of life, I need to have that kind of job. Can I get an amen? My, my son asked Cynthia this uh, a few years ago. Cynthia worked in, in insurance for a long time. Mama, what inspired you to go work in insurance? <laughs> like, when you were growing up, did you dream of one day working in insurance? Come on, somebody. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And she said, no, honey. When I saw that pay grade and I saw the people I could work with, I figured I can make a lot of money and like the people I work with, let's go. And the Lord has opened all kinds of doors. Good thing she didn't see this as a calling. Come on. But real, watch this, though. But the calling on her life was to pastor a church. And in order to answer that call to pastor a church, we needed some finances. So mama went to work to help us have some finances so that we can answer the call of God. There's a so that that's attached to the call. There's a so that that's attached to these things in our life. And this is the stuff that we miss. And we get tangled up in these things. And that's where the frustration comes. And when I speak about this, there are people that literally get frustrated because they can't understand. Like, how can you say that? We want people to do what they love. And people, sometimes you will have to do the things you don't love. True story. Truth vulnerable pastor moment there are parts of this i don't like i know some of you are like there are parts of pastoring that i do not like i don't i know i popped your bubble it's fine okay there are parts of your job, the job that you love, that God blessed you with, that you prepared all your life for, and you sitting there and you saying, you know what? You're right. You're right. People who had a dream to start a business. Anybody in here, you dreamed you started a business and you got into it and you're like, what have I done? <laughs> schedule me for next Tuesday. I'm coming in. I don't, I don't want to set the schedule anymore. I just want to work the schedule now. Y'all know what I'm talking about? All right, let's stop talking about that because there's a good portion of you that are mad at me because I said your career may not be your calling. It's okay. It's okay to have a job and go to work and make some money and take care of your family. Amen? It is perfectly fine. And it is awesome if you have a job that you absolutely love. That is great. But I promise you there are parts of it that you don't like, and there's probably people there that you don't like either. And newsflash, there's people there that don't like you. <laughs> is this too aggressive today? <laughs> okay. When we're talking about a calling, a calling from God... We have to understand that the one who is doing the calling is sovereign. In other words, he holds all authority. 
And if we don't look at it that way, we always give ourselves an out. And I've done ministry long enough that when you talk about the call of God, especially to people who are older um, and have a few years under their belt as believers, they acknowledge they have a call, but they begin to acknowledge all the challenges and obstacles they've had that's prevented them from answering the call. And it's always a recognition problem. And the recognition problem is not that you had so much going on in your life that you couldn't do it. It's that you fail to recognize that God is sovereign. And at some point, you have to see that it's about obedience. And I'm sharing this in context of church because we live in a church world that is more consumer-driven than commitment. We're, we're committed as long as it fulfills me, as long as it meets my need, as long as it does what I want it to do, as long as the children's ministry opter, operates at optimal performance every week, helping little Johnny become the great kid that he can be, even though at home we're struggling to get little Johnny to eat Fruit Loops in the morning before school. Amen? Yeah. And, and in this consumer-driven world, it's more about what church can do for me. And we've, we've gotten it backwards because we begin to treat church like Walmart. And, and I have to talk about this because we want to have a powerful church, am I right? And we want to see miracles at work in our church. We want to see lives change. I have to tell you, my life ain't changing at Walmart. Now, I go to Walmart only when I have to. And I try to dress nice. <laughs> but sometimes on Saturday, man, when you're in the middle of doing the work, I just need to run in and run out. Don't judge me. You know what I'm saying? I mean, now I'm not going in with SpongeBob pajama pants. <laughs> Cynthia's looking at me like that's enough. <laughs> but when, when you start thinking about church, though, if it becomes consumer-driven then there's always um, a pressure put on the people that actually do the ministry of the church, not just to reach people, but to keep people happy. And um, that's not how it works, according to the Bible. And, and I'm not fussing. I'm just I'm presenting this because this is something that we're, we literally are facing in our culture today. And it's not just in the world out there, it's in the church as well, because it's a mindset. And, and if certain things aren't up to what we believe is this, this par that it's supposed to be, then that church is no good. And if it's not big, that church is no good. I need you to know there are some small churches that are making it happen. And they may not have all the bells and whistles, but they are doing some serious kingdom work. Amen? And thank God for them. And there are some great big churches. Don't fall a prey uh, to the media and all their, 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 their reports about all these big churches because there are some awesome big churches out there as well. And they are killing it, man. I mean, I shouldn't say it that way. They are doing it. They are really doing ministry, and people's lives are, are, are being changed. But because of the world that we live in, we're so consumer-driven. We want more of this and more of that. We want more information. We want more of the dirty, you know, the dirty side of it so that we can just mumble and grumble about it to everybody. You see, that's what that church is doing. That's what, and we're missing the whole point, what we are called to be as believers, and it's so easy to fall into that trap because every part of it appeals to our human nature. 
every part of it. Like gossip appeals to our human nature. Rumors appeals to our human nature. It does. And we can fall into this trap so easily and lose sight of what church is really all about. And we have to understand that when we begin to talk about vision for a church, it's not just all the cool things that the church is going to do for me and my family, but it's what we as a church can do as a collective body and who we can be as a collective body, not just so we can receive, but so that we can give because we want to be blessed and it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. We say it, we believe it, but most of the time, we're just thinking, give me, give me, give me. And God's like, I want to use you, use you, use you. Because if you keep giving, I keep sowing into your life. He gives seed to the sower. Amen? And, and listen, when you begin to understand this, this will set you free. And it will change your whole perspective of church. It will change everything about it. And if we can literally see what church was supposed to be about from a biblical standpoint, it will change our vision. Meaning we will see possibilities instead of problems. Did you know that you were wired to see problems? You're wired for it. It comes natural to be a critic. It is easy to do but to see possibilities even though there is a problem. That's next level. Because the person that sees the possibility will chances are be the person that solves the problems. And listen, I believe that God's called the church to deal with some problems in the world. He didn't call us just to yan yan and cry about the problems. He called us to pray about them. But he didn't just call us to pray about them. He called us to solve them. And if we don't have vision, we won't. We will become inward focused, inward thinking. I would, yeah, the world's going to hell. It ain't looking good. No, well, listen, the world can go to heaven if we reach them. You see the difference? Do you see the difference? Yeah, the problem with all the men these days. Well, yeah, we got problems. You do too. But can you see what God can do? In a man's life. It might take a little bit of work. But let's get to work. Amen. It's a different perspective. And that is what vision does. So when you look at this story in Acts 18. This is the birth of a new church in the city of Corinth. It's a, it's a new beginning. A fresh start for, for this city. Because the church is being birthed. And what you need to know about this city Corinth in Acts 18. It's literally a capital city of the Roman, Roman province of Achaia. It's a capital city, meaning this, it's an influential city. And I don't know if you're aware of this, but we live in a capital city. And this is a city of influence, not just here, not just in the Big Bend, but all over the state, all over the southeast region, all over the country, and literally all over the world. Seriously, I think we have the eighth largest economy in the world right here in this city. Look at your neighbor and say, we rolling. We're rolling. It's an influential city. And Paul, he goes to this influential city and he begins this church. And he made some key connections when he was there because there's this, this guy and his wife, Aquila and Priscilla, and they're making tents. Now, when you think tents, I think of temporary housing. They didn't live in the type of homes we lived in. They lived in homes that could be moved, moved around. I don't want to live in a tent, y'all. Can I get an amen? Amen. Especially this week. I live in a house. They were tent makers. 
And it says that Paul lived and worked with them. He didn't just show up and say, God is about to do something great in this city. You know what he did? He rolled up his sleeves and he got to work. Let's do this. He got to work and he began to make these key connections. And this is what I found interesting. I thought it was cool that he shows up in, Cor in Corinth and he starts connecting with people. But then this part is really where it started to get my attention because it says that Silas and Timothy joined them. Silas and Timothy were literally spiritual sons of Paul. These were young men that he raised up. These were guys that, that he led to the Lord. These were guys that he discipled into ministry. And now they are coming to meet him in Corinth. And what you see is another generation. Remember last week we talked about another generation. What you see is not just people that they are reaching on the outside, but you see another generation being reached on the inside. And saw the and Silas and, and, and Timothy, they join him, and now you see key connections. You see another generation. It's in a capital city, and a church is being birthed. And I have to be honest, I started to see Emerge Church whenever I read this. Because the Lord spoke to us to go to a capital city. Like, out of all the cities, the Lord said, Tallahassee. So we came to Tallahassee, and that was great. And you know what? We put our kids in baseball. And that's how we started meeting people. There are people in this room. Jay Townley met him at the ballpark. You know why? Because he coached my kid. He coached Elijah. That's how it. Charlie and Bobby Peters met him at the ballpark. Little Boosie. Ask him about it after church. I'm not promoting the rapper. Okay. Key people. Key people that you meet. Key connections. People, you, you, you continue, and if I didn't call out your name, I'm not, I'm not leaving you out. I got to move on because the timer. Uh, <laughs> I'm saying a lot today, okay? Uh, but you talk about another generation, like Silas and Timothy joining them. Kevin, worship leader, he was in our youth group back in Louisiana. Michelle, in our youth group back in Louisiana. Tiffany, in our youth group. Josh, Abigail, in our youth group back in Louisiana made the journey with us. And I, I, I was reading this, and I was like, oh, my goodness. The Lord's putting pieces together. Like, he's been constantly putting together pieces. And, and that was at the end because then he started bringing you. And you have to know, you didn't just come to this church because you needed ministry for you. You actually needed a place to minister. You may not realize that, but, but you have ministry in you. This isn't just a place of ministry for you. This is a place of ministry that's in you. It just may have not come out yet, but that's why God's got you here, because he wants to bring it out of you. So when we say the best is yet to come, you just think of possessions. I'm not thinking possessions. I'm thinking of what God's put in you, because there's stuff that God has put in your heart. You don't even know how to get it out yet, but we can help you bring it out. And that will bring blessing in your life you've never seen before. And so I'm looking at this story, and it's like all these key pieces, these key people in this key city, all of this stuff. And I continue to see how God is putting together pieces. And it just seems like the pieces are coming together nicely. It's just coming together. Look at your neighbor and tell him you had to be here. You had to be here. You were supposed to be here. You just came because a friend said you should come. No, you had to be here. So our mission, vision statement, whatever you want to call it, has always been we lead people to follow Jesus 
so they can live out God's plans for their lives. And if we're not careful, that just becomes a statement that's written on the wall. But I need us to know today that is not just a statement that's written on the wall. That is our calling as a church. Amen. That's what we say. We not just me. (laughs) This is what we are called to do. We are called to lead people to follow Jesus so that they can live out God's plans for their lives. And this is what's awesome. Part of living out God's plans for your life is leading people to follow Jesus. Let's go back to the career thing. Your career may not be your calling, but you can bring your calling to your career. Because there's people there that need Jesus. And maybe it wasn't even about the job. It was about the people at the job. And God knew if I could just get you there, they coming. You see, I I didn't want to leave you hanging. I needed to bring purpose to it. The mission statement, it's much more than just, hey, this is what our church is about. This is who we are. This is our calling. And, and, and I can hear the whole time I prepared this message, I can hear the Lord say, tell them I called them. Tell them that I have called them. Tell them I have called them. And I'm going to give you this example. You ever had someone call you on your phone and you saw who it was and you just kind of hit the little button like not, not right now? And they left a voicemail. You listen to the voicemail, and you're like, oh, i got to call them. And then two weeks go by. And then you run into them at Publix. Hey, I called you the other day. Yeah. Yeah, I meant to call you back. Isn't that the funnest feeling in the world? The Lord has called us, but so many times there's a button that we just press. It's like the option button. And at some point, as believers, we have to answer the call. He's calling us. The actual definition of the church is the word ecclesia. Fancy word, ecclesia. And it means literally means the called out ones. It literally means to be called out. And I, I want to give you a picture of this. He's called us out of the world to come into his church. And the church is the gathering of the called out ones. That's what we are. It's a gathering. And we were meant to gather. We weren't just meant to scatter. We were meant to gather. Amen. Together. We belong in God's house. We do. Okay. And so we don't do this on our own. If you do it on your own, you won't last. Okay. You, you got to come together. And so he's called us out of the world. So the church is the assembly and gathering together of those who have been called out of the world. We called out of darkness into his life, into a new life in Christ. That's what, that's what the church is. And so a lot of times we leave strings attached to what we've been called out of. And what we're called out of eventually pulls us back in and keeps us from what we're called to. Seriously, and this is where one of the big places where people struggle with calling. It's not knowing what they're supposed to do. A lot of times it's knowing what you're not supposed to do. I can't do that anymore. Well, why not? Because I'm called. Like if you call me today and say, hey, Pastor Wade, I need you to come help me do some things around the house. If I say yes, then the things that I thought I was going to do today, I have to say no to those so I can say yes to you. And you would be thankful. Am I right? What if I said yes at church and then later, hey, man, I can't come. I got, I, I got to catch up on some rest. 
It's been an overwhelming week. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, but you said you would help me. I know, it's just been a lot. Well, it's a lot for me to do this by myself. Are are y'all tracking this today? And so I have to say no to some things to say yes to the main thing. And so you and I, we're called to be saved. Like we know that. We're called to salvation. But there are other people that are called to be saved too. And the way that God reaches those who are called to be saved is by taking the ones who have been called out of the dark into the light. He calls them to go and reach the ones who are lost. So it's not a, I got saved and I'm good. It's I got saved, but I'm not finished. This, this is the approach to it. And this is why it's so important that we talk about calling. And so he called us to be saved. But through us, he wants to save others. Thank God there were some people who went before us that did what they were called to do so that you and I were reached. Where would we be? We'd be jacked up. And some of you are like, we still are. <laughs> Don't worry, somebody's called to help you. God has called someone. So I want to go back to this verse because i got to bring some why to this. The Lord spoke to Paul in the night through a vision. Do not be afraid, but speak and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one shall attack you and hurt you. For I have many people in this city. I have many people in this city. And when I read, when I read this, this is a declaration, my friends. This is a word from God, I believe, for us to receive as a church that God has many people in this city that belongs to him. And that right there gives you and I a responsibility to reach them. Look at your neighbor and say, what you going to do? What you going to do? He's given us a responsibility. And I, I, I just believe that God gave me this verse for us as a church. And I just feel like God is saying, I have called you Emerged Church because I have many people in this city. And you say, what about the other churches? They're doing it too. And if we all do this, we're going to reach a lot of people. Amen? So think of it this way. Think of the people here in this city. Some of them are family members. See, when we start presenting it like that, it changes things. Because you want your family to be reached, am I right? And some of us would say, I'm not doing good with that. I need somebody to help me, right? But God wants to reach your family. God wants to reach your friends. Your coworkers, your neighbors. God wants to reach them. And how is he going to do it? through us. So I want to finish with this. This is what we're called to be as a church. And what we're called to be sets up what we're called to do. Okay? We're called to be a church that reaches. Number one, a church that reaches. We reach up to God in worship. Amen? And we reach out to people. That's our, that's our stance. We reach up to God and we reach out to people and our hope is this. To bring them together. That's it. I, it's not my job to, to, to counsel and take apart their life and rebuild it. I can't do all of that. I'm not that qualified. But I can point you to Jesus. And I'm going to stay connected with Jesus. But if I keep worshiping God and I keep reaching people, this is going to happen. We're a church that reaches. We're a church that worships. We're a church that reaches out. 
you ever, you, you've seen that video before where the, where the kid at the beach was, I, I should have got the picture, the kid was out caught in the rip current and all the beachgoers together created the human chain and they were locking arms with each other, locking arms, locking arms, locking arms, all the way till they reached the child and together they pulled the child out. When I saw that image, I said, that's church. That's what the church does. But we got to lock arms. I ain't locking arms with you. You don't believe what I believe about this. Well, it don't matter what you believe right now. There's somebody lost, someone drowning out there that needs to be reached. And if we could just lock together, we can have that conversation later on. But right now, we got to reach these people. This is, this is the, 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 the intensity of the moment, realizing there are people that need to be reached. And if we could just lock our arms together, we can reach them. And we can't just say, well, that's what they do. That's what they do. we got to have more people to reach those that are way out there. Think about it. We can reach them. We can. But we got to lock arms together. We'll be a church that reaches people. We'll be a church that reaches generations. And I need you to hear this. Reaching generations. From young all the way to old from the church rookie to the church veteran. Amen? All in between. We are a church that reaches generations. We will always dream for the next generation. We will always dream for the next generation because God wants them all, and we're not going to forsake the next generation. We will. All, some of the music is going to sound more like the next generation than your generation, and you've got to be okay with that because we want to reach them. Amen? I don't like some of the songs, and I'm the pastor here. And I play drums on them sometimes. But I want to reach somebody. Come on. I want to reach them. And so we're dreaming for the next generation, for our kids, for the middle and high school students. We want to reach them for the college students. We're in the process of laying the groundwork to kick off a college ministry. Benjamin and Catherine are going to be helping us start a brand new college ministry here at Emerge. Why? Because we want to reach them. We're called to reach them. We're going to have to lock arms because we want to reach some people. Some young families. I had somebody ask me the other day, what kind of church do you have? I'm like, what do you mean? They said, well, you're a church of young families. I said, well, we have them there. Well, yeah, you're pretty much a church of young families. I'm like, hey, you've never been. How do you know? He said, I just assume you're a church of young families. I said, we have all kinds of people at our church. Some are younger, some are older, some are older and cooler than the people that are younger. We have a good stretch of people. Can I get an amen? All kinds of people. We will be a church that reaches generations. Amen. We got this commission, this great commission. We're going to lead people to follow Jesus. That's what we're going to do. Number two, we're going to be a church that serves. Serving isn't just something we do. It's who we are. You want to know what makes a church great? People who serve. Because the Bible says whoever wants to be great must first become a servant. That is our identity. So watch this. We serve in the church. And we serve as the church. We do both. We serve in the church. And if you don't serve in the church, you need to get on the dream team. Shameless plug, shameless commercial. You should. Amen? Amen? Look at your neighbor and say, you signed up yet? Ah, you see? It, I didn't ask you that. They did. That's your conflict, not mine. 
We serve in the church and we serve as the church. This is what it means. Everyone has a part. When we serve in the church, you have to know everyone has a part. There are no specialists here, just servants. In fact, a lot of the people that do all this stuff, like all the technical stuff, they're not experts. They're servants who kept learning. They saw a need and said, we got to figure it out. And we figured it out together. Sure, they may have some expertise now, but it came through serving. Can I tell you, anybody who wants to go into full-time ministry, you serve your way into the place. You serve your way. You serve your way. When we serve as the church, sets up God miracles. That's what we do when we serve. We're, I didn't get that. Can you try again? I guess I need to repeat that. When you serve, you set up miracles. Thank you. Serving sets up leading. Because you can't lead without serving. If you do, if you try to lead without serving, you'll crush people. You'll, you'll get boss man syndrome and crush people. Serving sets up leading. We're, we will be a church that gives. Can we say that? A church that gives? A lot of people get nervous whenever you talk about it. We will be a church that gives. We give with purpose for a kingdom purpose. We're not paying anything. When we tithe, we're not paying tithes. You know what we're doing? We're giving because we believe that if we come together and give and we put it all together, we're going we're gonna to do a lot more as a church when we give. Ain't no arm twisting in here. I never arm twist or beg or cry, none of that, to get people to give. I just say pray and ask God what to give. And if you do that, the Lord will speak. You will give. You will be blessed because you obeyed. And we will be blessed as a church to be a blessing to others. That's exactly how it works. Amen. And we function from the principle that it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. And so we're not money hungry trying to get money from people. We're trying to take the finances that are given and point them in the direction that's going to do the best work for the kingdom of God. Amen? It's that simple. And we try to keep it that simple. And so as a church, watch this. We have to know that everyone has something to give. You can make an investment. You say, Pastor, I can only drop $3 today. That $3 can buy some goldfish for the nursery. Let's go. Don't, don't leave those kids without goldfish. If you're in there serving, you're like, give me the goldfish now. Let's start with that. Amen? Amen? As a church, we give our tithe. We give our time. We give our gifts. We give our abilities. We give our offerings all for the sake of seeing people follow Jesus so they can live out God's plans for their lives. We want to be blessed. Okay, let's position ourselves to be blessed. Let's be givers. That's, that's what we want to do. We want to be givers, man. I don't think we've written our biggest check yet to bless somebody. I don't think we have. I see the day. I promise you, I see the day where we will write a $100,000 check to further ministry. Come on. You know what I'm saying? Hundo grand. Let's go. And not for us to be able to say, look what we did, but for us to be able to say, look what God's doing. You know what I'm saying? I will say this. Our church has never been built off of a few big gifts. But it's been built off the sacrifices of so many people. It's people who just sacrifice. 
because they believe in what God wants to do through us. The last thing is this. We'll be a church that builds. A church that builds. Jesus said, I will build my church, and we are co-laborers with Christ in building his church. So watch this. This is what we want to build. We want to build people's faith. Build them up. You can do that, by the way. There's people sitting in this room. Their faith right now is low. You can build their faith up. There's people that you work with. Their faith isn't good. Tomorrow when you go to work, you can build their faith up. It may be encouragement. It may be say, hey, I got a group of people that has a prayer team. I'll mention your name to them. Or it may be you saying, let me grab hands with you right here and let's pray. You talk about build their faith on a Monday. We want to be a church that builds faith. We want to be a church that builds families. God designed families. We love our families. Maybe your family isn't in the shape you want it to be in. God can work. Maybe you're trying to start a family. I believe God will use this church to build families. But I also believe God will use our church to build futures for people. Faith, family, and futures. That's the kingdom. And I want you all to stand this morning. Because this isn't just, ooh, look, this is us, this is us. This is what we do and Pastor Wade's telling you. No, this is us. This is who we are. This is who we're called to be. And all across the room, I want you to lift your hands because i got to finish. Father, we understand that calling is much more than just an opportunity, but it's a responsibility given to us out of your sovereignty, out of your plan. And Father... We submit our plan to yours. We say not our will, but yours be done. For every person that calls this church home, every person contemplating calling this church home, we surrender ourselves to you and what you're building in our lives. And we dedicate ourselves to being a church that reaches, a church that serves a church that gives, and a church that builds. And Father, we know that if we commit ourselves to being that church, we know that there will be many that will say yes to you. There will be many family members, neighbors, and co-workers, people in our communities that will say yes to you. We know that if we, co- if we commit ourselves to all of these things, that there will be a move of God in this city where many will say yes, many will be baptized because there's many in this city that belong to you. And Father, first and foremost, we acknowledge that we belong to you and we surrender to this call. We surrender to it now, Father, knowing that we're not just here because we had nothing else to do, but we're here on purpose, that we had to be here. And this morning, as we are here, we present ourselves to you and we say, I will answer the call to lead people to follow you so they can live out the plans that you have for their lives. And so, Father, I pray that you will use Emerge Church, you will use this church to touch so many lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Father, I thank you for this place and every person here. And as we walk out those doors, we understand that church isn't finished. It's just begun. And I pray, Father, that we would shine our light to truly represent you this week. Use us to build faith. Use us to build families. 
Use us to build people's futures. God, use us. We submit ourselves to you. We want to be blessed, but more importantly, God, we want to be a blessing. Father, we're reaching up to you so we can reach out to them. Bless your people as we go today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, if you want to give, there's the uh, hub in the back. You can give in person. You can give online. All the instructions are back there. We love you guys. Hope you have an awesome week. 